Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody. It's Nick here, and welcome to the episode. Today, I want to focus on pitching. Pitching, to me, is one of the most essential skills that you can have as an entrepreneur. In fact, it's one of the most essential skills you can have just in life. So people think of pitching as, as often you're trying to get someone to buy from you. I think pitching is much more than that. It's about how you present who you are, what you do, what you believe in, what your greater mission is, uh, what's influenced you, what gets you excited, what you're passionate about. If you think about it, if someone's really, really engaged in a topic, it doesn't just have to be in the world of business. It could be something that you're interested in just in your own sort of social life. You get so enthused that if you can present that sort of energy when you're in conversation with someone, it absolutely lights them up. So my view of pitching is you need to think about what you're doing in the context of business and get yourself into a state where that energy, that enthusiasm, that passion comes across. And if you can do that in situations and literally turn it on when you need to do it in an authentic way, it can absolutely change the dynamics of what you're trying to achieve in your business. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about some of my own personal experiences with pitching, and I'm going to give you a a resource that I value massively. And I think, and I've looked into this, studied so many different people who are experts, and the the best book that I've ever written, written, sorry, uh, not written yet, maybe one day, <laughs> on pitching, is called Pitch Anything by a guy called Oren Claff. So I'm going to reference some of that in today's podcast, but again, I want to add my own sort of spin onto that because quite frankly, you guys can go and read the book and get your own view, but it's a really, really critical thing um, to to just be able to bring into your, your repertoire and your toolkit. So before I do that, I'm just going to quickly reference what I think is the foundation piece of pitching, which is the science of persuasion and influence. And again, I'm going to reference another fantastic author in this space, a guy called Robert Cialdini, and his book Influence is literally the Bible on this stuff. So I don't plan to go through that today, but I will go through some of the principles in that book. But I suggest that if you want to sort of start your journey into influence, which is such a hugely powerful thing in the world of business, then definitely read Robert's book. In that, he has six let's call it laws, if you like, around human behavior that he has researched and simplified. And if I just sort of take you through them very, very quickly now, you'll get a sense of kind of how important these things are in terms of how you are trying to get a response from someone. Uh, It could be about trying to sell them something. It could be simply about negotiation. It could be just about building rapport. But I'll just go through them quickly and then I'll go back to um, uh, the concept of pitching. So the six principles are, Reciprocity, scarcity, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. And just quickly, I'll run through each. You've probably got a good sense already about what each of them is. 
So reciprocity is firstly, and probably one of the most important ones, it's the, it's the sense that once you have given value to someone, in whatever way, shape or form, there is a feeling that they need to return that favor. Maybe not then and there, but at some point in the future. So to make this come alive for you, it's a bit like if you get invited to someone's birthday party, you feel obliged to invite them to yours. If you get a gift, again, it could be Christmas, could be for no reason, some sort of acknowledgement, you feel that, you know, particularly if you have rapport with that individual, that you should return that in some way. So it's a really, really powerful influencing technique in business because one of my values is, is giving help to people without expectation. And I genuinely believe that if I do that enough times across enough situation and opportunities, I'll get back everything that I want and need in life. So I don't expect that if I go and help a early stage entrepreneur pro bono in terms of just giving them advice and some mentoring that they're suddenly going to come back and pay me for that that service. I don't expect it. I, I, I get a lot of value out of helping that individual or that that team. But I know down the track that, that what they say about me, those sort of things will always come back in different ways. And I can say now, certainly the last sort of five, 10 years of my career, that has compounded probably 10x on, on any amount of value I've given out. And I certainly haven't expected it. So that's the first one. Second one is scarcity. So again, this is a pretty obvious one when you think about it. If you desperately want something and you only think there's a few opportunities or a few of those products left, you're going to want it more. It's a bit like uh, going to a concert or a sporting game or something like that, and there's only a few seats left, and everyone's trying to get those last couple of seats and jumping on their phones and online to try and book them. That makes you, it's just the way we're wired, it makes us want it more. So if you can create in situations where you're negotiating, for example, and you say, well, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm oversubscribed. I've only got a certain number of uh, sessions left that I can offer you. I've only got a certain number of products. A, that can speed up a decision, which is really powerful because you don't want things to drag on, takes cost time and money. It can also increase your negotiating price. So if someone thinks that there's only one seat left and, and that's it, then the value of that seat has is, is gone up. It's, it's purely a supply and demand thing. So again, it's a really, really powerful thing. And Robert talks about it in much more detail than I. So as I said, recommend his book. The third one is authority. And that's simply the idea that people will follow the lead of credible, knowledgeable experts. So if your position is an expert, an influencer, if you like, then people are going to gravitate towards that, particularly if you are someone who has got to the place where they want to be before them. And it doesn't have to be too far ahead. You know, don't have to be a an absolute global thought leader, just being a couple of steps ahead can make a massive difference. Often when people contact me for advice on their business or anything like that, they're not that far behind what I've done. But because I've taken a few steps and I've had learning experiences and I've adjusted and I've pivoted and I've come back and I've had all those different kind of things going on, I'm able to advise them on those things, which means that it's a watch out for them. They don't have to go through the same experiences as I have and they can get to where they want to get quicker. So the fourth principle is consistency. And this is simply people liking to be consistent with the things that they have previously said or done. So this one is more around if you are acting in a certain way, and you've got some credibility around that, then 
you know, people tend to like to sort of, again, gravitate around things that they feel comfortable with. I always say that a brand is a promise of consistency, and that's the same as a personal brand as is a business brand. So people like familiarity, and that's probably pretty much what this principle is pertaining to. The fifth one is a quite obvious one. It's the principle of liking. So again, obvious, people prefer to say yes to people that they like. Yeah, sometimes they'll say yes to people they don't like, particularly if that person has something that they desperately need, back to other principles like scarcity, for example. But rapport and this kind of commonality is a critical step in influencing. So when I get into pitching in a second, as you can appreciate, having this idea of being likable, not necessarily always liked. So it's not about just being that that person who sort of you know says what needs to be said just so people can kind of feel the connection. It's not that at all. It's more about the fact that you know you you stand for who you are. You have confidence. You are likable. You build rapport. You show interest. You listen is a really, really strong thing. The number of times I've turned up and pitched to investors or boards where you can look around the table and there's a certain hierarchy in that situation because the feeling is that I'm, I'm wanting more in that situation than the, what they're wanting. You can see some disinterest, but the ones that are really powerful, particularly if I have got a position where, you know, I'm, I'm pitching for something because I've got value here and I've got a choice as much as the investor has a choice, then I'm absolutely going to make a decision on in the frame of my decision-making on the person or the team that I like the most, okay? And the last one is consensus. And this is a little bit the sheep thing. So when people are most uncertain, they'll look at the actions and behaviors of others to determine their own. I don't like using the the sheep analogy, um, but it's it's unfortunately quite commonplace that people will do what the masses do. So it's the reason why reviews work so well when you're looking on things like TripAdvisor or you're going to buy a product on Amazon because you see a, a sort of four and a half, five-star review. That's the masses saying this is a great place. And you're much more likely to be gravitated towards that than you are obviously that's something that isn't, even though, remember, you don't know who those individuals are. They might be totally and utterly different to you. I remember an example, I took my family away on holiday a few years back. We went to a five-star resort in uh, Portugal. And, you know, by all the research that we did, it was the best place to go. And, and we went there and it wasn't really for us. It was absolutely fine, but it wasn't exactly the sort of things we like to do. It wasn't really in the location that we liked. Without going to details, you get the sense. So that's an example where we did look for consensus to make a decision, but it wasn't the right one. But the thing I just want to finish up on on Cialdini's work is... You need to understand and master all of the areas if you really want to be good at persuasion. So it's not to say that one of those six is better than the other. As I mentioned before, it's in your toolkit. It's in your repertoire. And what I tend to do is, depending on what I'm doing in a business context, I could be negotiating with a supplier. I'll listen intently and look at kind of where the situation is in terms of what I'm trying to achieve and what they are. I'll try and get to something which is a both win for both of us. There's no point not trying to sort of get to that place in business in any context, but I'll certainly use these principles in different ways because I know that if I do, I'm going to get to a situation which is going to be advantageous to what I'm trying to achieve. So that's the setting the scene. Hopefully, uh, if you haven't read it, wow, you're in for a, an absolute um, pleasure. It's certainly probably in the top five to 10 books 
that I'd recommend of all time. And from reading that and then applying it and playing around with it, actually, it's made a massive difference to how I've been able to scale my own businesses. So now I want to get into pitching, which is the main topic of this podcast. So first thing, and I am going to reference some stuff from from uh, Oren Claff because, I, as I said, I think it's the best framework, but I'm going to put my spin on it so that when you engage in his book and have a look at what he's done, you can just understand where I'm coming from on it. So the first thing to take into account is when you are pitching, there is, it comes back to the old saying that people like to buy, but they don't like to be sold to. So the first thing I say is don't oversell. Don't oversell yourself. Don't oversell your product. Don't ingratiate someone with things that you know is just cringeworthy. Uh, there's a when I work with some of my teams and and people who know me, I I sometimes coin the term Ocean's Eleven, and it is a reference back to the film with um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney, where there's an effortlessness to the coolness of those guys in that film. So when you're standing up in a situation where you need to pitch, the best thing to do is try and take yourself into a state where you know, you're going to have some difficult conversations, you're going to have some difficult questions, you're going to have to present yourself in the best light. But try and do it in a way where you're not overselling yourself. And there is a there is a reason behind this. And probably the best way to describe it is the way the neocortex of the brain works. So when you're pitching, and it comes back to this whole, whole idea of croc brain and, you know, kind of uh, fight or flight syndrome and those sort of things is when we're pitching, we tend to be using a part of the brain which is more around sort of high-level stimulus. But when it's getting received, it's getting received in a more sort of primary instinctive state of survival because it feels a bit threatening sometimes. If you're being pitched to, not all the time, but there's a piece where it doesn't land in the way that you want it to. So you've got to understand that if that is the case, if it is this kind of picky cognitive miser whose primary instinct is survival, and for those who've pitched to investors beforehand, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a bit of a traditional sort of approach to stuff. You've got to work around that. You've got to present things in a way which is going to take away that closing up that can traditionally be in that situation. Now, I'm not saying that every single investor you pitch to or every single potential customer is going to have that same approach. What I'm explaining to you is that there is a psychology around that and the way our neurosystem works. So if you understand that and you realize that you know you need to fire in, if you like, your information and the style that you do it in a different way, it's ultimately going to make you more successful. So there is a, an acronym that, that Oren talks about called STRONG. And this is a methodology which I want to kind of, again, introduce you to today. The first S, if you like, stands for setting the frame. And there's a concept called frame control here, which I'll get into. But this is where in any sort of social encounter, people have different frames. They're sort of points of reference, perspectives, positions. And ultimately, they collide and the strongest frame always wins. So what that means, back to what I was saying beforehand around Cialdini, you might have a situation where you're walking into a situation where there's a hierarchy of authority and the person that you're pitching to is 
you know, a very senior person in an investment bank or whatever it ends up being, and there's a perceived view that they're more important than you. In that situation, you need to be very clear that you're not going to have that power frame from that individual knock you out. So classic example of this, and I have done this, and some people think I'm absolutely mental for doing it, but I'll share it with you. If I'm going to quite an important um, pitch and the client or the investor or whoever I'm trying to influence doesn't respect my time, then I'll quite often say that I need to be somewhere else or we need to reschedule the the meeting. Now, the reason I do that, and it's happened when you know you might turn up for a meeting and it's scheduled for 1 p.m. and then the person who's the decision maker doesn't turn up until 15, 20 minutes past, something like that, or even longer in some situations, that's a a sequence of frame control. And if you then deliver your pitch under the context of what's being set before you've even had a chance to speak, the chances of you being successful in that situation are significantly reduced. Not always, because there can be good reasons. So this is not a absolute or anything. But if you can take control of the frame in a way which is more powerful, not, not being arrogant or anything like that, then you're more likely to get the outcome. And there's nothing worse than pitching to a group of people who ultimately have already made that decision. If, if anyone's watched Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, those kind of um, somewhat theatrical TV shows where an entrepreneur or a team of entrepreneurs is pitching to some high net worth individuals, you can see what I mean by this because there's that jostling of position where people are starting to work out at the very beginning of the pitch, you know, who's got the power. So set the frame. I'm not going to go into what Oren says around that, but just to understand the context, you need to be able to win that first engagement, either by humor, by rapport, or something else, which allows you to then get into the next piece. So the T in strong is tell your story. So when people make decisions, they often get into what I call an analytical mindset, which is one of the greatest obstacles to closing a deal. So you must grab whoever you're pitching to, their attention with something more provocative, something that is more interesting than just the financials add up. This is where I see a lot of people when they write pitch decks or information memorandums fail. You need to have absolutely a congruent plan, a financial plan in those documents in the same way you need to present them when you speak. But if someone just starts to pull you apart because of the numbers and the metrics, you need to take it up another level because most of the time when someone is going to buy into your idea, and that's the same with selling something as much as it is trying to get investment, all those little bits and pieces to scale your business, they're buying into you and they're buying into your story and they're looking for something which is unique and different which is the same reason why it's going to be successful for you when you take it to market. So I'm a big advocate just generally on storytelling and bringing a sense of perspective and personality into the pitch. So again, to give you an example from what I've done, I will often tell stories within a pitch which are absolutely relevant to where the market's going. So one of the things I do quite, and again, I'll give you this as a tip, if I'm going to present to a board, for example, or whatever like that, I will go and say, this is not my opinion. I've gone and spoken to 50 potential customers or 50 clients, and this is a summary of everything they've said. So when I tell the story about why this is going to be successful, 
I'm talking it from an informed position. You could argue that there's still data there, but I'm not telling it from a data side. I'm telling it from a, an opinion side, but with a level of quantity and qualitative nature, which is going to make that much more powerful when I deliver the message. Okay, so within that, the R is reveal the intrigue. So back to storytelling. It's much, much easier for someone to buy into you if you create something on the side which brings the attention back. So again, I don't know if you've, you've been in a situation where you're pitching and again, people start playing with their phones. One of my pet hates, by the way, but it does happen. Well, you need to bring something in to get the, get the pitch back to where it is. That could be risk, it could be danger, it could be uncertainty. Something which changes the game, a bit of, a bit of information. So again, when you're, you're thinking about what your pitch is and you're thinking about the whole way that you do it, the story and the intrigue, the drama, exactly like you would think if you're going to a movie, that's the way I do it. That's the way I recommend people do it. There's something that, you know, let's say it's a problem to be solved. That problem hasn't been solved this way before and this is why. And this is the thing that we've got that no one else has got. How do we know that? Because of these reasons. That has to be carefully sort of woven into the way that you're talking. But if you can reveal that at a certain point, particularly towards the bit where you're actually going to give them the trigger, which I'll get into in a second, then it becomes really powerful. It's a bit like, I have done this before as well. It's a bit like dropping a, a big book on the desk when everyone's distracted doing other things. All of a sudden, the attention comes back onto you. And as soon as you do that, that's when you move into the O, which is offer the prize. So this is obviously the bit where you're saying, it's almost the close. I call it the trigger, the close. It's the bit where you sit there and say, this is why this is an amazing opportunity. This is why this product is going to solve this problem. This is why this is the best thing for you to be jumping on now. And again, very quickly with that, you nail the hook point, which is the N in strong. So most sort of final decisions, if you like, are made on emotions, not logic. So you've got to lay out the groundwork to get your audience fully emotionally engaged in your idea. So this is building up from the story, the intrigue, the offer, and then, as I said, the, the hook. But most of the context at this point is going to be above and beyond anything that's in the data. And then the G, if you like, the last piece is get the deal. So this is the real final close. The last few minutes of the meeting, absolutely critical, where you really got to kind of just land it together and ask for what you want. So a lot of times I see... You know, if I'm advising and pitching and people are doing role play, they won't actually ask for what they want. They'll get to a point and they deliver that last final piece almost in an embarrassed way of like, oh, and can I just have uh, £200,000? This is the bit where you know, the deal is done before you get to this point. The deal is done, you know, really once you start to kind of reveal the intrigue, once you start to build up momentum. And... You've got to kind of get to the end and not sort of do the big reveal at that point because you've already got them emotionally hooked in beforehand. So the idea of them sort of signing or saying yes is done before that point. So getting the deal is there, but most people when they're pitching focus on that as the end point. It's actually a byproduct of all the work you've done beforehand to get to that point. So I suggest you have a look at this as a method. I suggest you put uh, some of the principles into practice. I don't intend to go through today and, and sort of go through each point in detail, but I will finish with what I call the six pitching flaws. And you absolutely need to overcome these 
as you're delivering the um, the method that I mentioned beforehand. So just to go through them, don't talk too much and certainly don't waffle and go off on tangents. The point to do that is at the beginning when you're getting frame control, um, where you want to kind of bring things back, but you're there for a definite purpose. Everyone knows you're there for a definite purpose. Get to the point, build rapport, but then move on quickly. Don't be too vague or fuzzy. Be specific. That includes in the storytelling. So you're not waffling. Every time that you're, you're, you're presenting something, you're presenting in a way that is either building intrigue and moving towards closing the deal that you went there to get. Never seem needy. So back to my, it's an obvious one in life, isn't it? Um, back to my principles of persuasion. You don't want to be the guy or the lady who's there and absolutely desperately needs to land the deal. Before you walk in, everyone will know. You need to go in there. Remember my Ocean's Eleven. It's a bit cheesy, but uh, when I mention to people, people's personas and body language changes. Just think of that. Uh, the fourth point is sort of going too slow. I often say that you know you should be in and out doing your pitch within anywhere between eight to ten minutes. And most people go, what? You know, that's you might have an hour meeting. Yeah, you might have an hour meeting, right? Set your frame, get that done, and get your pitch in and out all the way through in ten minutes. And if there's discussion afterwards about the nuances, quality of the information, all that sort of stuff, yeah, have that. But you want to uh, get as much of the momentum and the power of the time frame as possible to be able to get to what you want. So taking a full hour and, and getting to the, the sort of hook point in the deal at the end won't get you there more effectively than trying to get to that point much, much quicker. Fifth one is don't make your pitch too similar to other pitches. So this is more of a point around preparation. And you need to essentially prepare, I think, quite specifically, both for the audience that you're going into and obviously the type of deal that you're trying to uh, pull together and win. So this is where I sort of think rapport building in the context of everything is a really powerful thing. One of the things I do, and this is, some people have got different views on this, but if I know I'm going to go meet someone that is important in terms of what I'm trying to achieve with my business, um, and I know rapport is a critical part of that, what I'll do in advance is I will make sure that I've researched them. You know, I've looked up their LinkedIn profile. I know where they've worked. I look if there's commonality of connections that we can sort of share some level of understanding about. I even go as far as to sometimes look at their Twitter feeds and see what uh, football sporting teams interests they have so that I can reference it. It's a reference point. Now, I don't go there and say, hey, I'm a Manchester United supporter when I'm not knowing that they are, because that's not ethical and just ridiculous. But what I will do is I may mention that, you know, I watched the game, if I watched the game on the weekend and what I thought of it. And all of those things are quite important just in terms of customizing your pitch to the environment and to the individual that you're pitching to. So that's it for today. There's a lot in there. So I've given you two resources actually to have a look at. So the first one, just to, to go back and to um, summarize, definitely look at Robert Cialdini's book on influence. Uh, read that first, actually. I think that's a foundation piece. And then start to look at Oren Claff's Pitch Anything uh, model. And and there's definitely so much more in that than I've uh, covered today on the podcast, certainly around how you architect everything. And some of you are probably sitting here saying, God, this sounds really formulaic and you know a bit manipulative and all those sort of things. 
And my view on that is absolutely are these tools that you can use to do harm. (laughs) Absolutely are these things that if you want to live in that space, these are powerful, powerful things. Some of the most powerful things in, in terms of selling and negotiation that you can find. But don't use them like that, right? Anyone who who walks into business with that type of set of values, you're going to get found out anyway. You're not going to be successful longer term. And even if that happens or doesn't happen, sorry, in business, you know, you see lots of people who are not, you know, haven't got the most amazing morals becoming multi-millionaires or billionaires, it's going to affect you in who you are as a person and all your other relationships. Because let's be frank, people know when they're doing the right thing and when they don't. You know, more often than not, that is the case. So my big caveat with both of these things, which has helped me massively in terms of what I've done with my businesses, is absolutely ground them in your belief system, your standards and your values. If you do that and you use them in the way that I've explained today, then you will get fantastic results in your journey from startup to scale up and beyond. Okay, so there we are. Thanks for listening. As always, reach out to me on any of the social media channels. You can get me on Twitter at uh, at Nick C. Bradley. Um, you can find, I've got a Facebook page, uh, Nick Bradley, Scale Up Your Business. Um, and on LinkedIn, you can find me, Nick Bradley, you'll see Scale Up Your Business and a few of the other things that I'm um, invested in as well. Please reach out ask questions. If you've got anything else on these topics or other things that you want me to cover in future podcasts, more than happy to start to, to bring those into um, the planning. And uh, and yeah, and, and if I can help you at all um, at any point in time, I'm always happy just to, to answer questions, jump on calls, all that sort of thing. So, so please reach out um, if that is of use to you. So thanks again. And um, as I always say in business and in life, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Bye for now.